guys, welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColtsWitation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, we're back again with another episode and this time we're doing a Jalo film, which was the whole point of starting this podcast in the first place. Got a little sidetracked. And yeah, as you can see from the the past part of our, uh, I guess, audiography, I'll call it, uh, we haven't really covered many Jalos at all. I think we've done, we did Tenebrae and... Did we do any other jealous besides yeah. this? Uh, Solange. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what have you done? Solange. Yep. And then, yeah, no, we've done a couple. Okay. Yeah, we did a couple. Because we did another one after that or before that. I'm keep drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's, we've done so so many episodes I now, I don't even remember. Least, I think we've done at least five, actually, Jello episodes. That That's possible. I just, uh, I, I'm drawing a blank on the ones that we've done right now. But I do know we did Ton of Break because that was not too long ago. Um,. I think we did that even after. What have you done with Solange? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. So if you go back through our uh, listening history, though. And I mean, it's funny, there... too, because our first episode was a Spaghetti Western. Yeah. I mean, which kind of fits into the bill. No, I know. But it's like, like, hey, we're starting off, like, you know, doing, we're going to be like, a, like you know, <laughs> Jallo type stuff. And like, what do we do? Well, we're going to do a Spaghetti Western. Yeah. I think that, that fits though, in a little bit better. Mo- I say, though it does sort of fit the motif yeah that one that one at least fits in a little bit better but yeah we haven't we, i mean we've done a lot of horror but we haven't really done many that are jello films especially considering the, our namesake named after mario baba's blood and black lace um which at some point we'll get to i don't know when but, it'll be a special episode yeah that'll be a special episode not the hundredth that's coming up next time but that's right yeah because this is episode 99 right now so uh, today, we're, like I said, we're doing a giallo. We're doing uh, Dario Argento's Phenomena from 1985. Um, Phenomena recently got a release on Blu-ray and a special steelbook edition from Synapse Films. Uh, I did not buy the this, this steelbook, uh, as you'll find out in this episode, because I've never seen Phenomena before today. So it's I... time for me, too. Yeah. yeah I've a, heard, I have heard of it. Um, that's about it. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I've definitely heard some things about it. Um, I know about it. And I know that it is one of uh, Dario Argento's popular films. Um, you know, not as much as Suspiria or anything like that, but but certainly up there. And uh, surprisingly, I've just never seen it before. I don't know. I just never ventured out to see it. Um, part of his canon that I 
haven't bothered to watch. So that's why I didn't pick up the Steelbook itself because the Steelbooks get expensive. I mean, I have the Suspiria Steelbook now, which just came in the mail. And I also have their Tenebrae Steelbook, but I do not have the uh, Phenomena Steelbook or their Popcorn Steelbook. Um, but I mean, because they get so expensive, but I did get phenomena on Blu-ray, uh, because they released it in a standard edition and I, they sent that for review. So I, I do still own it. Just, just not the uh, expansive version. Um, but I mean, I think that phenomena is a pretty crazy film. Uh, it's, that's, that's, uh, being generous. Yeah. I mean, for, uh, for first watch, especially, uh, really wasn't prepared. And I mean, I know. Dario Argento's output so it can be a little strange and weird um, and have some very uh, disconnected ideas but I was not prepared for Phenomena in the least uh, it's definitely different from something like Tenebrae which I feel like is more grounded in uh, realism than you know even though there are some fantastical elements to Tenebrae and uh, especially some of his his other works like Inferno um, I would say that this one is probably the least grounded that i know of uh it's it's pretty out there yeah i can really see how this film was not going to be successful in the united states yeah and not only that too this is kind of like a film that would say like if if you're somebody who does like jello films and i'm a novice that's kind of the again it was like kind of the whole point of this ryan was going to take me on this magical journey of ex- getting me more experienced in some of these, you know, different film genres that I'm not accustomed to, such as, you know, Jallos. And, but I do have, like, you know, I do know more about film, so it's like, I can get into it and appreciate, you know, stuff that goes on, the ideas that they have. Uh, the thing is, though, if you're just, like, a layman, just, like, somebody who likes to watch films, because it's something to fill time, whatever, and you like Jallo films... I could not recommend this. And, and not only that, I think, and then we'll talk more about it, but I think, I think the genre itself, re, re, especially in this film, is really kind of showing how kind of niche it is. Sure. Yeah, I mean... At least it, that, and that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, in this case, in particularly, you know, you have this film that was uh, definitely within the... Uh, the style of Argento's other works, but then a lot, I guess a lot more out there in terms of the idea. And then you have it like you're going to market it to us audiences. A lot of this in itself is just really difficult to market to us audiences. Not only because we're talking about a school in the, in Switzerland that has like French and Danish and Italian people German. that's right there. That loses a lot of your American people. Is like, wait, what? More? Na- that's like four nationalities in one spot. That doesn't happen, especially like in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. Because in and you know the U.S., you'd be like, well, we have English people and we have English people, <laughs> and that's it. But this place has like four nationalities right there, and you 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 do get a, a taste for that because um, it's probably why they cut out. So you know, because you know, as we talked about when we were watching the film, that the, excuse me, the U.S. release did have quite a lot of cuts to it. They cut the film down from two hours to... Like an 80-minute... Yeah, it's like barely 90 minutes. Which, so it's, you know... Which I can understand why, because, again, we'll talk about... I do think the film could use a little bit of editing magic. Sure. But at the same time, it's almost like... 
what the hell is left in the film then? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, Phenomena is the regular title, and then the one that was released in the United States was called Creepers. Terrible name. Too. Which very, yeah, I mean, that's very generic. Uh, Phenomena, well, not a, Phenomena would like at least, especially like the poster that was released. Was, that looks great. If I was like just like a regular moviegoer and I was like, what, and I liked horror films and I saw that in my local theater, but maybe I'll go see that. That looks interesting. If it's just like a generic poster, it's like Creepers on. Like, mm. I would say that even like Creepers itself just sounds, um, just too. It, it doesn't really. It doesn't really showcase what this film is about at all, right? Because if I see the word creepers i'm thinking maybe like a monster movie or some sort of like animals gone wild sort of thing and it's not that at all so i think right there you're setting your audience up for a letdown yeah yeah, like uh at least going into it thinking like something totally different than what they're actually going to get but you can see in the film itself why some of those cuts were necessary there's one scene that's in particular that's really noticeable where the uh camera pans over uh, to a TV special that's uh, set in, you know, they're they're in Switzerland, obviously, so it's in native language, and you kind of just have to get the the gist of the TV special from like what's shown on the screen, and I can just see that too, just not appealing to United United States audiences, just being like, what the fuck's that? You know, it's not in, it's not in English, so uh, <laughs> I don't care about it. Um, so just things like that, you know, that are the kind of a language barrier or a cultural barrier um, just wouldn't work as well. So I understand where the cuts come from. Um, and we'll talk about in a little bit whether the uh, the uh, actual cuts are, are necessary or not, because a lot of times it seems like and we they, did not watch. The- we, yeah, we did not watch Creepers. But a lot of times it seems like from what you can glean from the, the film itself that they cut out some major key elements of the film rather than, you know, just doing the work, dubbing those areas and then releasing them and maybe cutting out some of the longer aspects of the uh, other scenes that are kind of slow and plotting. Um, They cut out some major points that would make it even more confusing because Phenomena is not really a straightforward film. And so cutting out those key moments seems like a, a misstep on the, on the editor's part. Um, but let's take a break before we really get into phenomenon. We have a lot of stuff to discuss. It's certainly a, a film that has a lot of potential for making fun of things and then also really trying to discuss and decipher what Dario Argento meant by some of his uh, scenes in there. Uh, but first, let's talk about some of the beer that we have on tap for today. So uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, guys. So we have uh, two beers on tap today. Um, I actually got quite a bit of beer for Christmas. So that's pretty much where this stock came from. I got none. <laughs> I got a couple of variety packs and, you know, um, some single beers and stuff like that. So we kind of dug into that today. And uh, since I didn't have like anything particular that we wanted to cover on the show. Um, so today uh, you have the Sam Adams Oatmeal Stout. Yep. And I have Breckenridge's Vanilla Porter. I'll let you go first with the oatmeal stout since you're the one that's drinking it. Um, so I think it's part of their winter pack, which I, I haven't bought, um, which I really should because it's the only way I've seen old Fezziwig available this year. I think it's the only way you can get it, which is, uh, really? ter- which is terrible. It's crime against humanity. But I, I chose this though because 
I don't know about everybody else that listens, but it's been colder than a fucking witch's tit around here of late. Yeah. Highs being like zero degrees. I mean, my washing machine tubing broke because of the cold and rusted off. So it's been pretty fucking cold. Yeah. That's another thing that's been pissing me off too is all the salt that they've been laying on the ground, even on like dry days. Because it's like my car is going to be rusted, you know, oh, yeah. n- to nothing. Thanks. I'd like to wash my car, but it's negative five. Yeah, now. You, can't. you can't. So, but anywho, like, so I've chose the oatmeal stout because it's the perfect time to be having one. It's cold out, and what better when you get home and you're cold and to warm up by the fire and have yourself like a nice hearty stout. And I don't think I have actually ever had Sam Adams oatmeal stout. Um, no, I don't think it was in their pack last year. No, I don't believe so. I think this is. I think they had, like, the chocolate bock. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the pack this year as well, but I don't think they had an oatmeal stout at all. I, I This is the first year that I've ever seen an oatmeal stout, I think. I think I've seen it from them before, but I, I, don't, think I, I, just, I don't think I've ever had it, though. If I did, I don't remember it. And from having it, I will say it's pretty good. Um, It's not too memorable, though. It, it's, you know, definitely, like, got, you know, a little bit more hearty multier tones to it than like just like a normal stout like so it's more a little bit you know earthier like you know like eating fucking oatmeal (laughs) um however that being said i'll still say it's pretty mild on it yeah um it's definitely not like around here the gold standard for an oatmeal stout is browns Mm. it's one of their flagship beers they do make a good oatmeal stout. they have it you know have it available all year round just like their cherry razz and you know their pilsner and ipa so if I had to like compare that to that, I would say it's pales quite a bit in comparison. It's good. It's got a nice body to it. It's on the you know smoother, easier drinking side because it is a little bit lighter in mouthfeel and body. But overall, I'd still say it's not a bad beer to have on like a nice cold day if you just want to have you know a stout to drink to warm yourself up. I, I will. I will say that because uh, I had a like a sip of it. And I'll say that, uh, I do wish it was a bit heavier and that it also had a, um, I do. I was gonna say I do too. Cause yeah. when I think oatmeal stout, so yeah. I, you think, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, it does, it's just not as heavy as I would have expected. And it also doesn't have as much of the oatmeal flavoring that I, that I can't, I mean, really to me, it tastes like a little bit of a, uh, different type of stout for them but not really what i would consider an oatmeal stout they don't really do stouts that much to begin with anymore they don't no yeah yeah so i mean i think i was just a a bit disappointed with it to be honest with you i thought you know they could do the style a little bit better than they did um but again i haven't had a full bottle of it yet so that was just on a tasting so just my two cents um i have the breckenridge vanilla porter and I've never, I never really had a Breckenridge beer besides the Vanilla Porter. That's the only one I've had. Yeah, that's always at our local grocery stores. Yeah, they always. It's have... one of the beers that you can always get, like when you build your own six pack. It's yeah, always, for... always fucking there. <laughs> for whatever I... reason, that's just the one that they have. I don't know why. Um, but they, so I, I have had it before, and I'll say that I find it to be underwhelming. I um, agree. It's, uh, I would say that the. Neither the vanilla nor the porter flavorings are very distinct. Um, the vanilla more so being like lacking from what you get and the the taste itself. Um, 
I would say on the nose, you can smell some of the vanilla, but I really would like it to have a more distinct vanilla flavoring to it. Um, I think, because I have had that before too, I think, because cause it is such a very like light porter, I think if you want to like add vanilla to like a stout or a porter, you gotta up the body itself of the porter or the stout to make that vanilla more welcome, because if it's like a light porter with the light vanilla, it's like, okay... Yeah, when, like what's you know it's, right? You, I think the contrast of like the heavy body of like a porter or a stout with the lighter flavoring tones of a, you know vanilla, that freshness would make for a much better beer. Because I think you're right; it is over. Under, I mean, underwhelming. It's like okay, I get a little bit of the vanilla. It's not that great, and then the porter itself is kind of you know below average too. It's very. Yeah, I would say I th- I think they definitely need to make the porter. Um, more robust because you're right. You don't want like an overwhelming amount of vanilla where that's all you can taste either. So, you know, yeah, if you had a lot of vanilla and a light porter, I mean, it's going to be like drinking vanilla syrup or something like that. Um, But I would say that neither of them in this beer right now are particularly noticeable Um, vanilla on the, on the tongue a little bit, but um, I think that it the porter just needs to be heavier. It's I get what they're going for here. They're trying to make a light and drinkable porter. Um, but in some senses, I don't really think that they, that sort of thing goes together. When you buy, if you're buying a porter or a stout, I don't really think you're you, you're like, well, I want this stout and porter to be light. Um, they kind of are at opposite contrast. So I don't know really what what the market is for that sort of thing. Um, so it's it's almost like. I, like they should call it Porter light because it is for like maybe some of those people who aren't sure about getting a Porter. So they start out here I mean, it's probably a good p- starter Porter. Um, but I would just say that it's, it's fairly underwhelming for people who've had really good Porters before. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I guess I would not, not recommend it, but I w- it's, I wouldn't go out of my way to get it either, and we don't have to because it's readily available <laughs> when you make a no, it's funny too, six you, pack. You can't find it in like six or twelve packs, but you can find it in the. Singles. I mean, you literally cannot find any other Breckenridge beer around here besides this in singles. It's it's so weird. I don't know if so, the Breckenridge people are just dropping off like an entire trailer <laughs> truck full of singles and like Mark. I don't know, put them out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's really strange, but um, for whatever reason, they're only available in singles. I did have, um, apparently it's new, never really heard of it or seen it before, um, Sam Adams Sam's 76, uh, which is a lager, and they're trying to market it as a lager in an ale style, and um, I'm say, I'm, I would say that this is like as traditional of a lager as you're really going to get from Sam Adams. Um, it still has a hoppy character to it, and if you have any of those beer drinkers who really only stick to the the major brands like Budweiser and Coors, they're still going to say, "Oh, it's a little, it's a little hoppy. It's a little too bitter." Uh, I know my dad did. He's not one for hops whatsoever. He doesn't even like Coors because he thinks it's or no, he, I'm sorry, not Coors. Uh, he doesn't like some of the other brewers like in that style, like Miller Lite, because he thinks they're too hoppy. 
Are it's you like, kidding yeah, me? Yeah, no, and it's, it's... I mean, I, it does. I mean, to be fair, Miller Lite definitely has the best taste out of, like, Coors Light and Bud Light by a fucking country mile. Because you do get, like, I do taste some malt, and I do taste a little bit of hop. But yeah. it's not like, oh, it's, it's like drinking pine salt. So, so I would say, like, the Sam 76 still isn't going to cater to that market. Um, however, it's probably, like, going to be the light lightest non-light, because Sam Adams does make a Sam Adams light, which I've, I've actually never had. Um, no, neither have I. I. I do want to try it. The problem is I can't, I just can't bring myself to do it. See, the, because again, I, I like Heineken light too. Heineken light's a really good light beer. In fact, I like Heineken light a lot more than I like regular Heineken. I think it's, uh, it just, uh, for some reason, it's never as skunk. Like the problem with Heineken is not that it's a bad tasting beer. It's always that it comes out skunky half most of the time when you buy it. I never had that problem with Heineken light. So with like Sam Adams light, it's like, do I really want to spend eighteen dollars on a fucking twelve pack of? Because as much as I love Boston Lager, I don't really go out and buy it that much because I can't bring myself to spend eighteen dollars, you know, on a twelve pack of beer that's only gonna last me, you know, a week or so. And therein lies the issue with a Sam Adams seventy six because you're gonna get into that same dilemma. Would I really? Can I really justify spending at minimum like fourteen ninety nine? And at maximum, probably like eighteen ninety nine on a twelve pack of a you know lager style that's really not very. Uh, it doesn't stand out from some of the other beers. I mean, it's a little bit better than you know your your major macro breweries, but um, I just can't justify it because if I wanted to go that route, if I wanted to get a light lager style, I would just go and get like a Miller Light because it's cheap. It does the job. And, you know, it quenches my thirst. So Sam 76 does that same thing, but just at a higher price point. And I don't, I don't know that I could justify doing that. So I think they, um, I think it's a good idea. I think that if they're going to market it like that, they need to market it at a price point that's more appropriate for a macro brewery. I mean, it seems almost too like, maybe like it's something I get at a bar then. If I'm like at a bar, like, cause at a bar, it's going to be literally maybe just like a dollar more than like, I think it was like, so then like, yeah, it'd be like, Oh, I'll get the Sam 76 then instead of like a Miller Lite. Right. Bar. Yeah. I had, uh, I had it at TGI Fridays. They did not have it on draft. It was only in can form and I believe it was only like four bucks. So, you know, in that sense, you're right. You know, if you get it at a bar, it's very inoffensive. Um, and it's relatively cheap for, you know, what you're getting, um, so yeah, maybe that's the market itself is like you're out and you don't really want to get a heavy or expensive micro brew. So instead you go for the Sam 76. So I could see that, I guess. Other than that though, uh, I've never seen it before. So that's why I had to try it at TGI Fridays, even though I, I was looking for it the other day too. I was going out yeah. to the one beer shop and I didn't see it out. So even though I generally at bars, I tend to stick to draft. It was in a can and I said, well, you know, I guess I'll try it. I'll so, give it a shot. Even yeah. If it's in a can. And I don't know if it's like out and about on tap or anything like that right now. It's the only place I've seen it. So it's an interesting experience to say the least. In other news, dead of winter right now, everybody's releasing their fucking spring beers. Cold Snap was on tap at TGI Fridays. I've seen Saranax, 
Spring Pack. I've seen Harpoons. Yep, Harpoons was out. I saw Sam that. Sam Adams. Oh, so fucking annoying. For sure. I'm not in the mood at all. Get back to me when it's March. And, like, we, we're we kind of sorting out when spring is going to come. Because at the rate it's going right now, it may not be coming till the middle of May. Yeah, it's... It, I feel like even now the spring pack's even earlier than it was. Yeah, every, like last year. Well, it's like every year. It's the same thing with like everything. I, I, I saw I saw harpoons before Christmas. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. It has to be left over from last year, and they just shoved it on. <laughs> Didn't the look shelf. like it. Shoved it on the shelf. Like yeah, maybe somebody will buy it. You know, like hey, Merry Christmas. Here's some here's some harpoons. Spring it. You know, it, it didn't look like it, but. All right, what do you say we get into the phenomena? Let's do let's it. Let's do it. I am excited to talk about it. It's going to be a fun talk. All right, let's try to break down the plot a little bit here. So we have a... It's, a, it's out there. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to do. All right, so you have Jennifer, uh, played by Jennifer Connelly, which is kind of surprising for an Italian film like this. But anyway, you have Jennifer Corvino, uh, the daughter of a famous actor, Paul Corvino, who we never actually get to see. Um, she's been sent off to a Swiss, actually they call it Swiss Transylvania, which is, uh, I've never heard that term before, but apparently it just means scary place in Switzerland that, uh, has some pretty crazy winds, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, she sent off to Switzerland to attend an all girls school and that all girls school just happens to be the target of a killer who's been murdering women her age and stealing their bodies and taking them somewhere. They don't know where they are. Uh, Apparently, the cops aren't really doing much of anything. Um, There is an inspector in this film, uh, Inspector Geiger, but he doesn't do much of of anything throughout. Well, because he's not played by John Saxon. That's true. That's true. John Saxon gets things done. Anybody else... (laughs) Um, they just kind of lollygag around. <laughs> Incompetent. Yeah. John Saxon was on the case. This movie would be 10 minutes old, you know, that's open and shut. You know, and up. I just, I recently watched black Christmas and he's the one that gets shit done in black Christmas. Everybody else is just kind of like, Oh, there's a killer. On the just loose, just imagine how long black Christmas would have been if John Saxon. Yeah, I know. You'd be like, Oh, okay. Ten, uh, it'd be like a 10 episode, like mini series. Like, what do we do? I don't know. Like what's going on? You know, how strange. Yeah, so really, you're right. They need John Saxon. Unfortunately, John Saxon had already made his one Dario Argento appearance in Tenebrae. So uh, that's it for him. He's, he was like, no more Dario Argento after that. Um, but I would say that, like, this film has a pretty poor inspector. And uh, he doesn't get a lot of screen time. He shows up in the beginning, and then for two-thirds of the film... Gone. Then, then back that, in that's probably why this film has a killer running around, like pretty much undisturbed. Just and and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Let me let me finish <laughs> trying to lay out the plot before we get into anything too major. Um. So yes, we have the uh, we have the the school. We have Jennifer, who is uh someone uh who the killer is targeting because she has a crazy paranormal sense where she has a very strong connection to insects um for whatever reason she can manipulate them she can kind of see out of their eyes she has sleepwalking abilities that kind of lead her to the killer and this in turn leads her to donald pleasance's character 
who is an entomologist, a doctor, um, a forensic pathologist, and uh, a chimp r- person. He, he raises a chimp. And all of that in the space of, you know, one little town, because he apparently seems to be the doctor for pretty much everything in town. It's not even really like a small town. They're like, in, they're in fucking Zurich. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess it would be maybe on the outskirts of Zurich. It doesn't seem like it's right in Zurich, but, um, it does seem, yeah, it's like, it's so strange. Well, how, it does seem like it is like, oh, like kind of like where they are, like they're right, like, oh, kind of off into the. Yeah, they're they're in the outskirts of the like the countryside sound of music area of of Zurich. Um though that was in Austria. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but uh it, it's so weird too because the See, this is why this film doesn't appeal wouldn't appeal to Americans. Right? Exactly. The, the goddamn sound of music area. Oh, your your country off. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's so weird though that Donald Pleasance's character has all of these things because everybody uses him for like Everything. Oh, you you are an entomologist, a scientist. Well, let's ask you about so such and such. Let's bring this spe- woman to you who fainted and had and an spe- epileptic spell. Let's say like that. And he's like specializes in like the cycle of you know insects, you know feeding on yeah, they're like human remains. Yeah, it's um, it's like criminal path, like yeah. you know criminal science, and and uh, I guess it would be forensic entomology, but. It, I mean, this character is so off the wall, so he has so many facets to him that it's really hard to, like, believe that he does all of these things. Not only that, like, like, some, like the quirks that he's given is just, like, cer- like, certainly weird. Like, there's no reason for him to be, like, par- a paraplegic. <laughs> he just, just, just so he's a paraplegic. Why? Oh, because he has a nurse. So oh, what's the nurse? T- yeah. He has a chimp nurse. <laughs> That that becomes crucial to the plot, which is a very big like, what, like just like you know, low, like a big old curveball just kind of thrown in there, you know, at the end, which we'll talk about. But it's like you just like literally like, what? Yeah, I mean, where did this go? Oh, well, you're you're this, right. This too, is the thing talking about that because I pretty much reached the end of the actual plot itself like you you really can summarize the plot in a pretty easy manner because it's about someone killing people uh, by an all-girls school and uh a woman who has paranormal powers not that off the wall but then when you get into the details of it it's weird it gets crazy and and again that's why i said before we started recording this like like what drugs is dario because he also wrote the film like what the fuck like like what made him come to like like cut like create in his mind this story well i mean here's the thing like some some of those elements on their own aren't really that weird so if you take like um the paranormal element for jennifer that she can communicate communicate with insects and she manipulates them it's not that weird you know if that was the only real facet of the story is like put in this like context of like what's going on in the story it is weird yeah yeah so it's like why is she doing it oh because it's just kind of like it's just a it's thing. A, like an intrigue, like th- something to intrigue people I, to come see the movie. Like, hey, she can control insects. Well, I mean, I feel like, like, uh, th- this might be a good place to bring it up. You know, um, Phenomena is in its opening moments, very similar to Suspiria. Um, the similarities are just, they just abound. Like you have the opening scene that's very stylistic and it's a murder scene. Um, even some of the same elements happen, uh, you know, they miss a 
they miss their their ride they're they're stranded they're stuck um they go to a weird place and then they're killed and then you think like oh okay that's going to be the, you know this is our main character no it's, it's not in a stylistic yeah yeah it's a stylistic sense you have uh the now the main character going to this all girls school in Suspiria it's a ballet school and in um phenomena it's just an all it just happens to be an all girls school that she's sent to um and then she meets some people there they all they, her classmates start to end up dead it very very similar to Suspiria in many many senses so i feel like Dario Gento started out with that in mind and then he progressed from there. Like, how can I make this main character, Jennifer, different from the one in Suspiria? Well, let's give her a weird ability. And in this case, it just happens to be that she can talk to insects. Um, strange, yes. Thematic, maybe. You know, in the in the way that she thematically, she's kind of like a foil to, and in some senses, uh, sort of a satanic character in regards to like the killer it, it doesn't all come together but it's it's i guess it makes sense a little bit i don't get well i don't so what's the theme then well that, that's that, the thing that, yeah like, it, the, so the the whole motif there doesn't work it's just like like i said it's like literally a point of the character that's just there to be kind of like it's depth but right. it's not depth yeah, because it's, it's shallow. Because at the same time, too, when we were prattling off like the fucking ten-page-long resume that poor Donald Pleasance has, when we find like we know that Jennifer's got his powers when she's just talking to him about that, he's like, "By the way, I also too believe in paranormal." You know, and he wrote a book about uh, it. Um, so he's, know, a, not, he's an author too, because he also believe. Well, as a scientist, he has to be a author. You know he's got to have. He doesn't need work. to write the book "Communication with Insects." But no, but no, he, but he does believe in paranormal things, and he thinks that's why insects are able, you know, to have such the keen senses that they have is because they have achieved like a certain paranormal heightened awareness that humans don't really have, but sometimes does happen. So it's like, of course he believes it, you know, because it's like, why is he believing? Because it? it has to fit the plot. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. I think that phenomena in many ways is just literally a sequence of phenomena that happen that just randomly happen. Like all of it happens because it needs to, and there's no organic connection to it. Why is she in Switzerland? Her dad's in the Philippines filming a film. So why the fuck is she going and to school? She in lives in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. <laughs> She just happens to go to Switzerland because they get she gets sent there. Yeah, reasons. There's not really, not really any reasoning behind it. Um, but yeah, a lot of this stuff just seems to happen because it needs to. And I mean, I would say that that's in some some ways just a Dario Argento film. I mean, sometimes that does uh, become the main crux of the film is that it just happens because it needs to. I would say Suspiria, one of his best films, has that happening in some cases as well, but in phenomena, it's, it's very exaggerated. It's, it's very like, even if you were watching, you weren't really thinking critically about phenomena. There will be points where you're like, how did we get to this point? Like where, where was the jump from here to there? And that's why I I think, like I said, like this, like after like watching this and like you being somebody who is experienced within the jello genre and me being the layman, 
Though I can, like, and we'll talk about more. I can, I do appreciate this film for what it does, but at the same time, like I said, like if you were trying to show this to your wife Sarah or any of our other friends, they'd probably be like, "What the fuck is going on? What? I don't get it. What? Like, what's the appeal in this?" Yeah, I <laughs> uh, I completely agree. I think um, for anybody that's, you can see why this was this became something of a cult film because. I, I could see how this happens with people who see Phenomena. They see it. They're like, that was a really weird film. And they yeah. think on it a little bit more and they're like, that was a really weird film. I got to like. And they watch it again. Yeah. And they, they start to kind of pick it apart. No, that's what. So like, I, even if you don't like it and you're somebody who then watches the film and then kind of picks up on that. But again, like that's a very like, especially, especially nowadays where people have very little tolerance for like things that are kind of outside the worldview and scope of, you know, their lives. I can see, like, especially now somebody watching this, if it's not their kind of cup of tea or like fit their kind of weird, you know, their sense, you know, their weirdness that they kind of accept, they'd be like, what the fuck am I watching? Because it's just like, I, wa- I spent two hours, you know, like, and things just happen, <laughs> you know. It's like, for, I would say like, this is like a film that if you like film, this is something you may not like, but you can appreciate. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Argento's films are like that. A lot of people are going to come out of them and be like, "I didn't like that film." You know, I didn't. I don't see the appeal, but the direction is pretty good. You know, and and the the color scheme is good, or the the um, score. Was uh, yeah, or the, the Goblin score was kind of cool, or the uh, some of the off kilter camera shots were were nice. Um, I think you can, you can not like the film, but then you can also appreciate what it does and its inspirations and, and subsequent, uh, inspirational tone for other films. But, uh, let's talk a little bit about like the, the whole bug aspect to this film. Is it really necessary for, uh, you know, phenomena to have a whole bug aspect? Does it really, really tie into the plot whatsoever? I mean, I don't think so. I think it would have been fine if Jennifer was just a normal girl. <laughs> yeah, just someone who just happened like, to stumble this, on these then, murders. Because and... at the same time, then, though I get what you're saying, where, like, her, you know, telepathic ability with insects fits the whole idea of, like, these, you know, acts of phenomena happening. But even if you take that out, it's still these weird, strange, f- phenomenal events happening around her. So it still fits, you know, that theme and motif. You're just taking that one element out that was kind of just put there because it comes across as, you know, it's put there for the sake of being there. I think um, what would have been better, not not better, but would have made more sense is cut out all of the actual, like, psycho- psychedelic and psychopathic connections with bugs and just have Donna Pleasance's character as an entomologist, as a very literal entomologist who is like, yep, I see these maggots are a special type of maggot, and then we can link them to the crime scene and which, then find it from there. Which I, I okay, so maybe that's why. Okay, so the reason that she has that is because the whole the theme with, especially with the deaths and the decaying bodies, is that Argento does put great detail in the showing the decaying bodies, the maggots, you know, feeding off the bodies and watching the bodies fester and. So I get that aspect of maybe that's how they're connecting it, but at the same time, I don't think you need that. I think that whole effect of that extra detail of showing, like, you know, of these bodies decaying 
and the cycle of what happens when bodies are decaying and the insects that feed off those bodies. It's very interesting. It's cool. It's, you know, it's something that will grab your attention because it is unique. And I, again, I think that's good enough. And you can then have Donald Pleasance be the one to explain that and show and then like, and ha- then have like the hunt. I don't, I don't really think you need to have her also be able to communicate with insects for, you know, them to go track, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that's one added element that just really, I mean, it's there just because it's sort of a, a an appeal to people who are like, well, you know, Jennifer, she's kind of a plain character. She's obviously virginal because we are draping her all in white, like every single time she's on screen. Um, so let's give her some sort of, you know, ability power that would make her a little bit more interesting, but I don't really think they need that. I don't think Jennifer Connelly is actually that good in this film, but in, I, I would say that part of that is just the overall she's, production of this film too. She's very wooden. Well, very, you can, but you, at the same time, you it's poor Donald Pleasance, fantastic actor. He is it's, pretty wooden. It's in actually this. really hard though to figure out if the woodenness is because like they were delivering scenes or delivering dialogue after the fact in like a very like vacuumed whole hum. Yeah, like because a lot of these moments are seem like they're especially if you watch the English dub, they even though they are speaking English in the scene, you can tell that they were dubbed over. So it's hard to say, like, if ba- after that in post-production, they, like, put those dubs over and it just didn't really match with the context but of he, what's going on in the scene. even still, when you watch their faces, like, their emo- like yeah, the emoting, true, it, true. Is, it is, true. You know, I, Jennifer's very wooden. Like, even, like, when she's, like, trying to show that she's, like, scared or, you know, timid, it's still very wooden. Um... Like I said, even Donald Pleasance, who is a fantastic actor, you know, it almost seems like he just couldn't be probably bothered. He's like, right, hey, yeah, know. yeah. I, I mean, even though I don't think Jennifer Connelly is that good in this film, I think that she would have been fine as just like a normal person thrown it, into this situation. I think it would have been cool because they do get into like the mental aspect of like the, everyone around her thinks she's crazy. If maybe she really was crazy, like have that idea of like her talking to insects. But it's all in her head. Yeah, I think... And then you can try to disseminate, because, again, it's a jallo. They like to get intricate, to have all these little twists and turns and whatnot. And, you know, like... So, like, what's going on in the film? Is it a delusion from her? Like, can we trust the narration of what's going on? Like, then, like, had, like, the twists go on? Because I think where they end up twisting this film, it's like... Wow. Yeah, I mean, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And not in, like, a good way, because it's like... I think if you went that route... That would be a lot more interesting of, like, trying to show, like, what's happening? Is everything, like, you know, is everything that's happening in her head? Is she the one that's going crazy? I mean, I think even you could even leave it as just putting that doubt in the viewer's head and then pretty much have the same film play out. And then you have that, like, fantastical element where it's like, well, that seems really unrealistic, but Mm -hmm. could it just potentially, like, everything that actually happened be in... Her head. And it makes sense. Dario Argento leaves no room for that. Like, there's literally not even a question of whether this is actually taking place. Donna Pleasance believes her, like, outright. Um, we see all of the insects attracted to her. And, and then we also see the reactions of her classmates when, like, a mass amount of bugs are forming at the windows of the... the After they're bullying her, like, film, you know, bullies, like, just surrounding her and taunting her and, like, you know, throwing shit at her. Yeah. Which, oh my, which, that's another thing I have a problem. It's a small, like, gripe, but, like, people are like, because she sleepwalks. She, she's known to sleepwalk, and everyone's like, 
She walks in her sleep. <laughs> it's the most exciting and ra- and crazy thing that they've ever seen. Though. I know, like it's like she walks in her sleep. Oh, wow, what witchcraft! <laughs> yes, it's a very um, mm. it's a new condition. No one's ever seen it before. Next, you're uh, gonna tell me there's people that fall asleep at random. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know we haven't talked about some of the other craziness of this film besides the bugs because the bugs are a big aspect of it, but the other aspect is just involving this monkey, this chimpanzee, in the entire plot. It's, uh, I guess it's okay in the beginning of the film because you're like, okay, well, it's a little strange, but, you know, Donald Pleasance has this nurse monkey and he's kind of trained him to take care of him. He's a scientist after all. Maybe it's just like another part of his studies that he trains chimps how to <laughs> how to do things and take care of humans. But then as the film goes forward, the chimp actually becomes more of a main character i mean and then he just i guess it's a she right yeah she disappears and reappears at very key moments um the the biggest one being the finale where all of a sudden out of nowhere after finding a a razor blade in a random trash can in the woods a pristine straight razor and you know a trash can he just appears out of nowhere to save jennifer from the crazy, one of the crazy and which killers. the only connection of him grabbing that straight razor is he had a sharp object, like, not a straight razor, but earlier in the film when we first meet Donald Pleasance, uh, the chimp, she had a, like a, I would say it's like a letter opener it looked like. I guess, yeah, so, and, something like that. And, you know, and she was carrying it around. Donald yeah. Was like, I had to be like, oh, where'd you get that from? That's dangerous, don't use I, it. I think it was a letter opener because then he uses it on paper to show how sharp it is, yeah. and it's really not that sharp. <laughs> Because he's having a difficult time actually well, cutting through well, that he's, paper. He's old then, so he might not even have the muscles straight. That's, that's you know, true. So. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but so that's another aspect of this film where you see, again, just like random things happening. Randomly, the monkey finds a straight razor in a trash can where we're not even like privy to the location of it. Like he kind of just wanders. She kind of wanders off and just finds this trash can where there's this straight razor and picks it up and takes it with her. So... That's a lot of that's a lot of um coincidence to occur in one time frame. Like the monkey's like, oh, I gotta pick up a straight razor. Uh, I'm gonna walk over to this one random location where Jennifer happens to be with the uh the woman that's going to to murder her. It's it's a very convoluted way of, of tackling that. And one would think, you know, with Dario Argento. There ha- ha- were a million other things that could be done at the end of that conclusion, like uh, maybe Inspector Geiger pops out of nowhere, he's not dead yet, or something, and, and actually tackles the killer to the ground. Uh, but instead, Dario Argento goes with a random monkey that comes out of nowhere. It- it's, I, th- I think, though, in some ways, it works just because you're like, what the fuck? Well, if it's what you said, where'd the, whole, the chip come the, from? The whole like it's phenomena, it's you know supernatural, but at the same time, it's like how much? Because like again, certain parts of this film, it's dead serious, and other parts, it's not. So it's like so it's like how how much am I how much disbelief am I su- supposed to suspend watching this? You're kind of having an internal struggle while watching this film, like. Is it grounded? Is it not? It keeps it can't. It's 
can't decide whether or not it's going to be grounded or not because it's constantly kind of ba- you know bouncing back and forth, back and forth. So once you get that opening scene, it's like oh, I'm grounded. You know, this is yeah. a realistic murder scenario with a killer who's you know from our point of view, and that's it. And then you kind of get this uh, these other elements that keep getting piled on, piled on, and then by the end of the film, you're like, I don't know if that was supposed to be taken seriously at all. One of my favorite moments in this film is just the very inappropriate use of like metal songs, like power metal songs, like Iron Maiden and Motorhead that crop out of nowhere. Inopportune. Yeah, it's like, like at death scenes where like somebody's being wheeled out on a stretcher. You know what we need here? Motorhead! Locomotive! It's a very strange moment because you at that point you're thinking like, well, we've been pretty close to Donald Pleasance's character throughout this whole time. Um, and Jennifer's standing there at the murder scene seeing this and thinking like, well, now I know they're targeting me as well because they, they obviously that was not a, a female of her age that was killed. This is now the person she's been working with. So it's a very somber moment, except we have motorhead going on <laughs> and it doesn't seem somber at all. Um, or, you know, the sequence where, they arrive at, like, the school, and it's like, yeah, Iron Maiden playing. Like, yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah, they're all, it's all very, um... Like, you think, like, you're about to hear heavy metal, like, you know. It's it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's hard to say. Because then, again, Goblin's score, for the most part throughout this film, is pretty, I don't know, delicate, I would say. Jennifer's theme is pretty delicate. And then, all of a sudden, you have Goblin breaking into a synth, like, techno song... That's like so, then with like timpanis pounding and which we choir it, like and we both like Goblin. I would and I do know Italian films have a knack for having a great what drastic would, dichotomy. What we between, would think of as somewhat uh, inappropriate right. scores, you know, it's <laughs> uh, and, and that's somewhat the case in a lot of Italian films. I don't know why that is. Like we have such a difference of opinion between like what should be played in the somber or scary moment and what Italian people think should be played. But, you know, Goblin's always had that. Suspiria has that in some ways. But in this case, like that, there's one scene where uh, Jennifer's discovering the murderer's glove and it's got maggots on it. And, you know, she's seeing the actual, some of the sights of the murder itself. And then all of a sudden Goblin breaks into like what sounds like it could be an 80s Castlevania theme song during a boss battle or something like that. Storm and Dracula's Click Castle at the end. Yeah, it's it's more like getting you pumped up for a final encounter yeah. of like a double boss battle or something rather than oh, yeah, a nice boss rush. Um, yeah. I would say I I do think the score though, like with at least with Goblin's part, I do like. I don't care for the choir though. That's constantly. I think, like, especially like, especially because a lot of the time the choir that's being played with the music is inappropriate. It's like it doesn't fit like what's going on. It's like, okay, I like the music you're doing, Goblin. But did you really have to add like that, you know, choir to it? In- Inferno has a similar operatic sort of. Like, I would be fine with like choir elements into the soundtrack if they fit, you know, with what was going on and. Didn't have like like you said like a Castlevania boss rush song going on in the background to accompany. It doesn't fit. It's really awkward and it d- does come off as kind of jarring and like it does take you kind of out of it. It's like 
Because that's what that should be a really tense moment when she's because they do a lot of building up and the way they shoot, showing her hand going through the bush to the glove and like a close up of the glove and like slowly, you know, it's very like a tense, slow plotting scene. But it doesn't feel like that because you have you know fucking timpanies banging and you know a moog synthesizer going like off the rails in, during that. Yeah, and I think uh, again like. We could probably talk about this now. We we talked a little bit about the two hour runtime of this film, and as you mentioned in that scene, you do have a a difference between like what the the sound is implementing for how you're supposed to feel, and then how Dario Argento shoots the scene, which is very 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 slow, like very, you know, glacial almost in the way Jennifer moves. She's moving through the bush. She's reaching through the bush. She picks up a glove. She examines the glove. There's maggots in the glove. She examines the glove. Um, it's very slow. And in many scenes, there is that sort of slowness that slows phenomena down to a crawl. Often, you know, it's so extended that like it in, just... In scenes like that, it does work. But no, you're right. It's like, good God, like in some scenes, like kind of pick it up. I mean, there's one scene where Jennifer's trying to pick up a phone through like the uh, in uh, uh, like it's an upper window on a door is it's not something that we have like commonly anymore but it's like a classic upper window above the door she breaks the window out there's a phone on the opposite side which her captor has conveniently plugged back into the wall so that it can be used and uh to make sure she doesn't miss any phone calls and she's trying to pick up this phone with a stick and you think she's almost got, she's almost got, it's like, it's been like two minutes of watching her try to pick up this, uh, phone with power metal playing in the background. And then she drops it and you're like, fuck, just pick up the goddamn it's phone. Like, Cause I'm done with this right now. It's like state farm commercial with like the, the other insurance. Like I got a dollar for you. Like, Oh, Oh, Nope. that's like what that scene is like it's like oh my god like yeah it's not even tense in that moment though you're just like come on just get the phone i want to i want to get going with this you know the stuff i want to see stuff happen i don't want to see her fiddling around with the phone again um it's another thing too we're when she finally finds like where one of the killer's hideouts we're, there's still fucking forty plus minutes to go in the film. Yeah, well, that's it's it's not that's really why a, that, that's why I ask because I mean it's, it's her old home. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the killer's old home. But it's like okay, so like we're on to something. Like that's that's you know, and we're still forty fucking minutes away from the climax. And I think I think the only reason like you asked at that point because it seems like we're coming to some sort of organic climax. It's like mm. okay, we've done the detective work. We've done. We now we know about the entomologist and the fly and how um, you know Jennifer can follow a fly. So it seems like we're coming to the end of this chase. Ch- yeah, the chase sequence of figuring out who the killer is, and then nope, 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 not even close actually. Um, and again, that's partially because of the lack of the inspector um, uh, Geiger, who's re- only used in specific scenarios, makes him look very shady throughout the whole thing. Uh, and you know, eventually becomes like sort of a red herring, but, um, you know, that's, again, that's another part of this film being really paced awkwardly because you expect that the end is coming and the end is not even close. 
And that the climax is literally like the last four minutes of the film. Right. And I would say Which that... Which it goes totally off the rails. Like, they watch right. Friday the 13th and they're like, we gotta have something kind of like that. Well, the bigger... <laughs> I think the bigger issue is that there, Dario Gentro, um leaves a lot of loose ends. The, the And those loose ends are really not that important. So, I mean, in some ways that's okay, but he's he's put all of these different elements in the film... Like the headmistress who seems very weird and shady and almost like in Suspiria, like a mother figure. Um, and then nothing comes of that. But then you also, you know, and then you have other aspects that are kind of left off and, and he doesn't really go into those. But then you have the ending of the film, which just goes completely off the rails. And you really can't see it coming, not because it's a surprise or anything like that, that they've done a really good job of hiding. But just because you, if you weren't, I mean, you, you would never see, you can't see it coming. There's no way really to know exactly what's going to happen at the end because it's out of Dario Argento's brain and it just kind of fucking goes wherever he wants it to. The only connection is, is, um, when Geiger goes to the, the sanitarium and he's talking to the one, uh, staff member there and he's like, you know, saying like, Yes, this one level's been closed off because of things that have happened down there, you know. And Geiger's like, oh, so it's kind of like hell. Like, each level you go down, it gets worse and worse. And guy's like, that's right. Well, at the same time, it makes no sense because that's where, you know, this disfigured boy's capped. So, like, but the connection between... And, spoiler, the killer in this is a woman and not a man. Well... She's the mother of this boy. One of the killers. Yeah, yeah, one. But, I mean, so... Like, the whole... Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, like... They don't really explain, like, how... She, you know, she's connected to, like, the asylum. Just, like, her kid's there. Yep. And she got, like, cut down. You know, cut there, too. Like, you know, she's got remnants there. But it's like... As you grabbed... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, a lot of that is just kind of glossed over. Why it's is like, her son disfigured? Who knows? Yeah, like what? Well, I mean, yeah, it's 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 more disfigured than even you know Jason from Friday Thirteenth because this is not just like a natural, you know, human disfigurement or like a, a um a mutation or something like that. It's a very like paranormal, supernatural disfigurement, and it it's not really explained. It's and neither are like the motives, so it's not like you know. Like, yeah, yeah. At least it's in Tenebrae. There's motives for why the killer's doing. Like, I mean, you know. I guess you're just supposed to infer that like the boy is crazy, is nuts, so he does the murders of the girls, and then you have the mom who kind of allows it and is sort of because she loves her son, right? And she's like kind of accepting it, and she wants to protect him in any way possible. So then she commits the murders to stop anybody from figuring out you know, her son's involvement, but it's just not very well connected. And I don't, like I said, you, if you didn't, you don't know about the, uh, the mutated child at all until the last last four minutes. So you would, you have, you would have no idea. There's no way to see it coming. Which by the way, Jennifer's such a bitch. 
that scene is like that scene's unintentional. Right. What if, what if yeah, she approaches the mutated boy, she can't see him because he's standing in the corner, he's crying. She's and, trying to say how bad his mom is, but she'll protect him. He turns around and he's mutated and she just fucking screams, screams and, and runs, runs away. away. Like, yeah, of course he, that's probably how everybody's been treating him. So he's like, Well, I've got to murder that's this why, girl. Because we see in her house that all the mirrors are covered and she says, I cover my mirrors because my son doesn't can't doesn't want to look at himself. And so that's why all the mirrors are covered. And she's like, you don't have to be afraid of mirrors anymore. And then she turns the kid around. And I was like, oh, my God, you <laughs> yeah, are. You know? Basically. Yeah, she's so hideous. She runs and screams. And it's like, well, Jennifer, we all can't be pretty like you, you know. So no wonder he wants to kill her. Yeah. It's like, that was a very rude I know, like, wait a meeting. Minute, you know, like, I don't go up to somebody and be like, well, you're pretty ugly. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, you're so <laughs> you're so You're so ugly. I don't think I can talk to you. Yeah, it hurts to look at you. you so know? now Jennifer knows what it's like. She knows what it's like to be bullied. Yeah, no, it's not a very nice thing to do. Not a good anti-bullying message, too, because again, like, and the reason she's getting bullied is like the stupidest again, stupidest thing in the world. It's originally because she sleepwalks. And I was like, what a bitch! She, she's so stuck up. I know she sleepwalks. She walks in her sleep. What a cunt. You know, and then when, you know, she also starts talking about how she can talk to bugs, then they start making fun of her that, too. But, I mean, it's like, you wouldn't even gotten to that point if people weren't making fun of her for sleepwalking. Yeah, being a, a very common... Being a sleepwalker is grounds for bullying. Stone, um, stone her to death. So we haven't talked about some of our favorite parts yet. Um, one of, I mean, my favorite part, I think... And you said somebody else had said this previously, but the chimp is actually a pretty empathic character. I think she's, I think she's pretty good. I am very surprised that a film of this ilk had a well, tra- a very uh, yeah. well-trained chimp. To- and not only the chimp, but the bugs as well. Like the fly itself is pretty when it's not like, obviously some of those things are just kind of in there and they, they, well, they CGI'd it, or well, not, it wouldn't be CGI, but it would be some sort of like graphic that they put in there for the fly. But when it's actually crawling on Jennifer, that's a, I was impressed. They have a fly trainer there to keep it, keep it on Jennifer. But so I think the animal things are, are uh, actually pretty good in this film. Um, I like the, I do like the, the death chamber essentially is what, like prison room with the, um, with Inspector Geiger chained up yeah, and, and uh, the pit of decaying, yeah. rotting, festering bodies. Yeah, it's it's almost that like lo- that looked really cool. It's yeah. like Poltergeist, and you know, in some ways, it probably it might have been inspired by Poltergeist. But then they grunged it up even a more. Lot with, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, with the maggots in there too. Like just by looking at that, I could imagine how putrid that would smell. Oh yeah, like I would probably sit in a shower like. In like the fetal position for like a week, like rocking back. <laughs> you like, fell in there. Like, like it just won't go away. It just won't go away. I want to die. This is, you know. And you know, surprisingly, Jennifer takes all that really well. Maggots crawling on dead bodies. She's she's fine with it. No, yeah, too. Guy, that one. That's one Geiger shining moment too, because he's chained up to the wall and he's trying to get to the killer, who's just sitting there laughing maniacally. You know, like like a stereotypical like uh, you know Rocky and Bullwinkle. You know, villain like ah. <laughs> And it was really cool to see him, like, to get uncuffed. He dislocates his own, you know, wrist. He breaks it and, you know. And he breaks his thumb to slide the slide the uh, handcuff yeah. off. And then, you know, starts beating, you know, <laughs> beating the shit out of her. But I don't know. So what happened to him? We don't know. 
Apparently she just apparently she got the best of him and made it out. Which doesn't make sense though. Like, what could she have done? Like, he he was on top of her, literally like, smashing her head in. Yeah, I'm not sure. Then he just like, all right, yeah, her face looks pretty, you know. Sm- sm- <laughs> and then he left. He just, just like, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm out of here. And she just got up and like, yeah, <laughs> he left. Um, another one of my favorite moments is anytime Morris is in the film. Morris is like uh, Paul Corvino's lawyer assistant guy. He just kind of does whatever Paul he, Corvino yeah. tells him. And he shows up at the last fucking five minutes of the film. We hear him get, you know, talk to, you know, Jennifer talk to him on the phone sometimes, but you don't hear him because it's literally like, what? You really mean that? I need it now. Like, so yeah. you don't get to hear, you don't get yeah, to hear Yeah, you get to hear talk. the conversation, but not really him talking. But then when he's in... We were talking about this in the film. He gets shit done. This man is on a mission. He he will not be deterred. Even at the airport as he's getting off, the guy asks him, like, would you like a map? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm way too fucking busy for he's this. Like, and I know the area well. He's so like, I'm, I know the area. I'm good. He's like, just boom, boom, boom. You know? He's booking it. He must have, because, you know, he got from the airport to the one of the houses to the school to the you know able to track her yeah, down yeah he, he he's, got, was, he's got a gun loaded like you know this man is better than inspector geiger at this tracking of people and he's, he's done a it lo- before yeah he's a lawyer he just got back from passover and he you know <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah it treats passover as a major holiday for united states he is he is jewish no but it's like it's a major holiday here yeah for united states because she's on the phone and she's like well what holiday Oh, it's Passover. Oh, Passover. Yeah, no. It's not, not a major holiday around here. If you're Jewish, it is. If you're Jewish, it is. Well, no, but no. But for most, you know, no, you know no, most I, people. No, I think you read that wrong because she was like, what? Passover? Like, she didn't. Like she never met a Jewish person in her life uh, before. Maybe. That's what I'm like. That's what it came. I'm like, yeah. Because um, they did give him, like, his, like, they did give him, like, a very stereotypical, like, Jewish name. It was like Morris. Like, what? His last name was really, like, stereotypical. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if they... Do they actually... Oh, yeah, Shapiro. Morris yeah, Shapiro. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's... But, yeah, when he called... When she calls him, she's like, What do you mean you're on holiday for the next three days? What holiday is it? Passover? So, no, you're right. Like, because, like, it wouldn't be a big holiday to her. Because she's not Jewish. Passover is a very major Jewish holiday. Yep. So it makes sense. But the, now that it's over with, he got his ass down. Yeah. You know, out to Zurich <laughs> in a heartbeat. And he, you know. And I that, he tracks her down like that. Like, you know. Yeah. But unfortunately, he gets his head just lopped off by sheet metal, like, very easily. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. One thing that we didn't talk about here. The deaths. Is the deaths. Um, which are surprisingly, uh. Tame. Tame and not really stylistic. We, uh, in this film, little over the top too. Like, so you do, we do get to see some heads roll, but I mean, literally, yeah. But they're really um, not like oh, you know, that's ooh, it's kind of like <laughs> just I, because it doesn't look great. I would yeah. say like the best, the best murder and the most stylistic is the first one because it is the again the most reminiscent of something like Suspiria or Tenebrae, where you have that initial murder that really gets you into the film itself. Um, and in that sense, it's brutal. It's it's it does have some style to it because you have the woman 
uh, who's actually, I believe, played by um, one of uh, Argento's daughters, Fiore Argento. Argento. And um, she's uh, she's walking along through the this by this house by the house. Uh, she hears somebody chained up, um, and then she actually ru- she runs away, screaming maniacally, like so much screaming. Well, because she got the he stabbed by scissors. Yeah, yeah through her hand. And... Yep. But I mean, so much screaming, like very over the top screaming, um, generic for like a horror film. But she run. It's stylistic because she's running through like the Swiss cave system and beautiful river yeah and like, there's like a waterfall in there which it do, that all does look really good like you I know do, i do like that chase sequence. i mean the only problem with it it's got that very stereotype i do like the like again it's very reminiscent of a lot of jallos and you know it's just the style of it being a pov chase scene but i mean i i mean it looks really good and shot really well I think the only problem is it falls in the stereotypical trap, just constantly looking back and like tripping over herself. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. just purposely so it's like the killer can, you know, catch up to her. And Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I even like, you get like the blood droplets on her white shirt. It's very like dynamic and bold. Um, and then you actually, you have this weird scene. I don't even really understand it, why this would be. I guess it's just like a tourist attraction. But in this cave, there's a waterfall system and there's apparently like a big piece of glass that covers the uh, the out, outer area of like where the cave meets the waterfall. And so she falls through that piece of glass where her head gets chopped off. Very reminiscent of uh, other Argento films where he uses glass and he uses... Some of those other aspects of uh, of killing. So that part of it is really stylistic and I would say is probably one of the better elements of um, Phenomena. But then you have the other kill scenes which are kind of – they're either off screen or they're just not really um, punctuated, I would say. They're not stylistic. Um, a lot of them are from POV shots but then – you know, once once the murder occurs itself, you don't really get to see it. So it's kind of um, a mixed bag with phenomena. I would say I was surprised that it wasn't more stylistic because the rest of the film is very crazy. So you would assume that the kill scenes would be as crazy or like, you know, as weird as the rest of the film is. And they're, they're really not. It does have some interesting sh- like shots, though. Like one that really... Sp- in particular, sticks out to me is um, when she's first sleepwalking, and you see like the, it, like her eyes like kind of flash, and it shows like the hallway with the black doors, like in like just the way kind of slow, like it zooms in like fast down the hallway, but like the the hallway itself gets narrower and narrower. Yeah, like, you know, um, which I believe connects to like you know the asylum. Yeah, it does look a lot like the asylum in that. Like the asylum yeah. actually looks like a big skate park. Because it has, like, these weird sloped walls that looks like you can just, like, keep doing, you know, mm-hmm. s- you know, skate down the entire hallway on... And they're really long and... S- yeah. Like, skate, like, you know, but I do... That's a shot that really sticks out to me. I really, I really like that, um... And, um, the other one that was uh, interesting is kind of the overhead shot of, uh, Inspector Geiger and, um, Donald Pleasance's character when they're in his, uh, lab. Yeah, it's kind of like an overview of this whole area. He's got all these insects all around, and it's kind of, it's an interesting because he also has this giant. He also has this head that he's been like observing as it gets maggots on it, um, on the, on his desk. So it's kind of a interesting shot from overhead that Dario Argento uses to, you know, uh, kind of a wide angle 
the scope of the situation. Um, but I would say that stylistically, this is not one of uh, Dario Gentor's better works in that sense. Um, if you're looking for something like very colorful or um, bloody or, you know, so I would say like Suspiria has the color for sure. And some of the stylistic deaths as well. Uh, Tenebrae has the beautiful kind of sexiness to death. Because uh, a lot of those those deaths are very elaborate and some sometimes like I would I call them sexy like death is never sexy but he does try to you know make them sort beautiful, of uh, yeah, yeah beautiful and in their art, own and way art, yeah yeah uh, which I would agree I would say also to that point too is um Tenebrae also has a really well rounded story that yeah where the twist and turns make sense and the fact because it is grounded it all you know fits together. Yeah, and even I would say in some ways like Inferno 2 has um, some of those like stylistic elements, but I would say that Phenomena is really lacking in that in, in either color or style. And even the substance of the plot is, is you know, not as, uh, not as good as some of those other films. Speaking of those other films, though, I'm really surprised that this in some way doesn't have, isn't part of like the, the uh, Mother trilogy, because it seems like it could be. Um, Dario Gentle, obviously he did his mother trilogy with Suspiria, Inferno, and, uh, Mother of Tears, which didn't come out until 2007. Um, but I would say like a lot of these elements in Phenomena really match up with what he did in the other mother films. Um, you know, you have your, your uh, main character who goes to like the school that's led by a, a mother figure, a headmistress figure. Um, and even like the, whoever, who turns out to be the killer, um, She's also sort of like this mother figure. You could have easily wrapped it into the mother trilogy. So I, I just, I mean, I guess it's just the similarity in the themes that Dario Argento uses in his films, but uh, I found it to be very close to some of his other, you know, the the mother trilogy. Um, But like I, I would say that Phenomena is probably my least favorite film that I've seen of Dario Argento's so far. I, I do in some ways like how, crazy and outlandish and off the wall it is but at the same time i think i prefer some of his other films that are better grounded uh and more stylistic um but let's give this a rating um from a score of out of 10 uh what do we want to do out of 10 chimpanzees (laughs) what would you give uh phenomena i'll give it a six um Despite kind of more griping about this film and kind of asking what the fuck um, than kind of praising it, I still do see its value. Um, Do I think it's very entertaining? Not really, because it is really a slog, Um, and it does move at a very glacial pace. And I do think a lot of the elements that are included in the story are overly complicated, convoluted, unnecessary, and totally muddle the viewing experience. However, I do think there are good ideas in this film. I do think there are certain things that are done well in the film. Like I do think that though I haven't seen the other Argento films that you mentioned outside of Tenebrae, but I do think the cinematography is good. I do think it's well shot. I do think 
the direction is there when it comes to that aspect. Um, however, I think it's a film that I would, like I said in the opening, I don't think I could recommend to people. Though I think, though I did enjoy it for what it is, even though it's a slog, um, the acting's wooden and things kind of, you know, again, are very hard to suspend your disbelief on. Um, it's definitely not anywhere near the worst film I've ever seen. So I, I do think, you know, it's good. I would recommend it to Jell fans, but most people who watch Jell's have probably seen this film. So, but other than that, I, I couldn't, I don't think I could give, I wouldn't be able to recommend this film to people who aren't acutely, who aren't really into Jell or filmmaking itself. Yeah, I mean, I would probably go. I think maybe I would go with a six and a half. I think that there are some elements to this that just make it kind of fun. Um, however, that fun a- aspect is tempered by the fact that it is just a really slow film. So I think there was definitely um, a necessity to edit this film down, especially for United States audiences. However, I think probably going with the Creepers cut was way too edited. Which we haven't seen, uh, with, but again, if it's that as truncated in runtime as it is, only like 85, 88 minutes. Yeah, I mean, we I can kind of assume where they cut some of the things down, especially when you watch the English version and you see some of the um, undubbed Engl- uh, Italian parts of the film where mm-hmm. it seems like they cut that out from Creepers. Um, I think that's probably too edited. But then again, I think you probably could have gotten away with like an hour and an hour and 45 probably would have been sufficient for this film because there are some elements that really need to be um, addressed. And and then there are others that Dario Argento never even gets to in this two hour cut. So um, and I think there was actually an an edited version that was uh, a couple minutes shorter than this one as well. Um, Even I think it cuts out like one or two scenes. that so I think like even that would have been a little bit better, but it does seem like a slog at times, and uh, I think there's just too many elements going on and too much um, that Dario Jenner just never gets to, or that he leaves hanging. And you, again, one of the biggest things is the motive for the killers. There's really not one, um, so you're kind of left trying to guess at what the entire motive was. Besides, you know why people would kill. Donald Pleasance's character and Jennifer Connelly's character because they are obviously trying to lead the cops to the killer. Um, this is not Dario Gento's most stylistic. It's not his most violent or beautiful. Um, so I think it falls really in, in the probably the lesser end of what I've seen from Dario Gento, though it doesn't reach the limits of something like Dracula 3D, which was pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> um, but I guess I would recommend this film to people who do want to have fun. If they, if you're sitting down, you can have a couple beers. You're going to watch it with friends. Probably would be a fun thing to do just to – there's there's definitely some moments where you're going to laugh at it. Um, unintentional, obviously, but they're there. Um, but other than that, you know, anything else you want to add about Phenomena before we close this episode out? No, that's it. That's Pick up the Goblin soundtrack. Which is good. And, I, like I said, I do. Despite the choir added to some of the tracks, it is good, though inappropriate. And if you can find it, find the original soundtrack as well with Motorhead, 
Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Bill Wyman. Yeah, Bill Wyman. A couple of other people. Um, definitely an interesting addition to the film's soundtrack, for sure. All right, thank you for listening to our finally Jalo related episode of Blood and Black Rum podcast. Um, next week is our 100th episode. Is it next week or we're, we're two weeks now, actually? Two weeks. Now. Yeah, we're so two weeks from today. Um, that would put us uh, to, I guess it would be uh, the 17th. Uh, we'll be back with our 100th episode, which is, are we announcing it? Are we putting Let's it out Let's do there? it. Let's build it up. All right. Yes, we're, we're doing John Carpenter's The Thing. One of our favorite films. Can't wait. Um, we haven't done it and we've always wanted to, this will not be a film commentary and audio commentary. Um, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do a classic, you know, review episode, but we have a lot to say about it because it's on our first rodeo with the thing and, uh, it's a lot of fun. So definitely check back in with us, uh, in two weeks for our episode on the thing, which is our hundredth episode, big uh, craziness going on. Maybe we'll do something spectacular on the show. Although I don't have any ideas for that, so we'll we'll figure it out. We'll surprise you. Yeah, we'll figure out we some, got, we some got big co- plans. We, we got we got time now. Yeah, we'll figure out some big plans for that. And uh, you can catch us on our new Podbean account. It's Blood and Black Run Podcast Make sure you follow us on there. Um, when you follow us, you will get all the updates for us. Um, and that's going to be our, our new home. So we've, we've transferred over to there, but you can also catch us on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcasting app if you subscribe. And, uh, we're also on, um, Patreon, patreon.com. So Sport and black crumb podcast. You can donate to us. Um, any donation helps and you also get some cool stuff if you donate, um, in the higher ranges. So definitely think about that. Our Podbean account also has a patron page. So you can check that out as well. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. We're also on Twitter at blood and black rum. Um, definitely tweet us or, or send us a message and we will respond and then send us any emails that you may have, whether it be uh, film requests for us to review or uh, just uh, like some kind words about us. You can send those to blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with our big 100th episode on the thing. And until then, stay tuned. Take care.